something that struck me this week that I thought was extraordinary. It's simply this, that God cares more about our human relationships than we do. I mean, think about the impact that relationships make in your life and in my life. The truth is, God cares more about the relationships in your home than you do. He cares more about your relationships at work, at school, in the neighborhood than you do. He cares more about your relationships with extended family than you do. And here's the good news. The Bible teaches in Ephesians 3 that God wants to do immeasurably more than you've ever asked or can even imagine in your human relationships. Actually, in all areas of our life. The Bible, in the New Testament, there are what are called one-anothering statements. And there are 59 one-anothering statements. Now, here's what one-anothering statements are. God teaches us how to one-another one another. This is how we are to relate together. Now, one-third of the 59 statements are the command to love one another. Now, you take those commands, and you see... You break those out, and what you have is the remainder are teaching us how it is that we love one another. If we are to experience the depth that God wants us to experience in our human relationships, then we need to decide, each and every one of us, to lay our lives down before him as we love and relate to other people. Love one another. What does that look like? Well, we're going to see this morning, it looks like not judging one another. <clears throat> Look at this verse here. This is just one of many from Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> it says this, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. How often we do this. How often we have an opinion about the people around us. How often we share that opinion. Now, we're going to see that there's balance in this command. But in numerous places in the New Testament, God is warning us not to judge one another. He says, instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block, not to put any obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Have you ever thought about that? That when you are judging another person, that you are putting an obstacle in their life? You are putting a block in their life to keep them from achieving everything that God has for them. Many of you, many of us, I should say, have been victims of people judging us in a way that dishonors Christ. And it becomes a stumbling block. It becomes an obstacle in our lives and in our human relationships. This morning, as we continue this series where we are seeking to understand the biblical picture of human relationships, what we see is that it is God's path, it is God's way that leads us to intimacy, to authenticity, which we all long for in our relationships with one another. One of the things that we work hard at as a staff is to make sure that we are real and genuine and authentic with one another. 
And we do that because we want to model for the, for the Christian community what it looks like to love one another, what it looks like to be at peace with one another, what it looks like not to judge one another. And this is something that matters in the Christian community. And friends, God gives us the privilege of experiencing this, of living this out in our relationships, our closest relationships, in our family. That's where we practice these so that we can live them out in the various places that God calls us to be. And so as we move on, let's define what judgment means. Now, it's not, it doesn't mean critique. And we'll see that in a moment. But it's criticism. It's criticism for another person that lacks concern for that person. In a few moments, I'm going to describe what it looks like, where that thing comes from. But I think we can all look at our lives and know that there are times when we render judgment, we judge a person, we criticize a person, we critique a person, and our motivation is not to build that person up in Christ. It's not to strengthen them in their faith. It's not to make them more like Jesus. But what is driving us, what is motivating us, is something else. And so judgment, biblically, looks like when we are criticizing another person without loving concern for them, without the motivation that we want them to be more like Jesus. Jesus, when he critiqued people, when he brought judgment to people, it was always because he wanted what was best for them. The rich young ruler, when Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. I mean, he's rendering judgment on the heart of that man. But Jesus did it out of loving concern. Because he knew what was necessary in that man's life in order to experience intimacy with God and right relationships and authentic relationships with others. This morning, we're going to be looking at a variety of different passages that are going to lay out for us what, this, what it looks like, the damage that a judgmental heart, a critical heart has, and then how we can battle that in our lives. But I want you to see the damage that it does. Number one, critical words destroy friendships. Read this in Proverbs 16, 28. A troublemaker, think about this, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. A troublemaker, somebody who's stirring it up, is planting seeds of strife. What is strife? Strife is a barrier. It is what creates brokenness in relationships. Stirring it up. And then it, it goes even further and uses an example of this. Gossip separates the best of friends. Gossip is in the category of a judgmental heart and judgmental words. When we gossip, when we spread rumors, what we're doing is we're taking something where we don't fully understand and we're passing it on for a variety of reasons. But I would say to you that gossip and rumor, when we spread those, never have anything to do with the welfare of what is 
best for the other person. So it says, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. We see that a critical spirit divides communities. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 17, 9. And the Bible's filled with this. I'm just looking at Proverbs, just a few verses in Proverbs. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors. Wow, don't you see it all the time? And sadly, particularly in our political world, in our, in our news media, we're seeing this all the time. People rendering judgment about the nature and character of others. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. It breaks friendships. Judgment breaks communities. It breaks nations. And we see that happening in our nation today, as I shared two weeks ago. We've lost the ability to disagree with one another in a way that is respectful, in a way that is honoring in a way that, that moves us to reconciliation. We see it particularly in our political world today, and it's impacting human relationships. A third thing that we see is that critical words can create deep wounds. Rumors are dainty morsels. Think about this, like little candy. For me, it would be, it would be peanut butter M&Ms. Greatest thing God ever created. Rumors are dainty morsels that seek, sink deep into one's heart. I have a, I built this wall this morning, and um, my granddaughter, she doesn't know, but she's getting this for, uh, for her birthday, and uh, she turns two in a, in a month, and so you guys, I'm trusting you not to let the cat out of the bag, okay? So I thought I would use that this morning. But this is a picture of, that I want you to have in your mind, not just this morning, but in the weeks to come. This is a wall that I built out of these cardboard bricks. And what I want to suggest to you that most of us, if not all of us, have a wall that we have built around us. Now, for some of us, that wall is very short. For some of us, that wall is very high. And we use that wall to keep people at a distance. To keep people from being able to hurt us. And so we keep them away from us by building a wall that we use to hide behind. Now what are the bricks of that wall? Well, there are many different reasons why we do this. But one of the major ones is because we have experienced, all of us, Moments when we have felt judged. Maybe as children, you felt judged by a parent or parents. Maybe you felt judged by a teacher. You felt judged by your friends. Unkind things are said. And so you learn that people aren't safe. And so we build a wall around us to keep us from being hurt. To keep us from experiencing things that are going to be painful. Here's the impact. We build this wall because it makes us feel safe. We keep people at an, at an arm's length, and then we fail to experience the intimacy, the authenticity that God desires for our human relationships. And we, we hide behind it. We don't even know we're doing this. 
but I want to stay a safe distance from you. I don't want to be real with you. I don't want to be genuine with you. I don't want to be authentic with you because maybe I'm going to experience what I've experienced in the past, and that is I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be hurt. Now, what, how do we take this wall apart? The only way to do it is in the unconditional love of Jesus, understanding that God loves me regardless. Now, does everything I do and say honor and please him? No. And in his love, he disciplines me, but he does it in his love. It's never all love you win, or I love you provided, or I love you if. He just says, I love you, and I have a vision for your life that goes beyond anything you've ever imagined. How does this wall come, come down? It's through godly relationships where we learn how to love one another in, in a biblical sense, where we love one another in a way that honors Christ, that lifts him up in a way that, that builds intimacy and authenticity. And friends, it begins in your closest human relationships. That healing has to happen in the home. Parents, it has to happen in the home. It has to happen in our marriages. It has to happen in our relationships with our brothers and sisters. It has to happen in our small community here at Cross Point, where we learn how to walk in life together in a way that it, it empowers one another to become all that we've been made to be. If we don't create safe space for one another, then we will never get to the authenticity and the intimacy that God wants for us. Our human relationships are to reflect the relationship that we have with God. So how do we fight this? How do we fight this? Well, I'm going to share with you, and there are many others I could share with you, but I want to go through this quickly. I want to talk about the different ways that we can battle this in our lives. I would guess that all of us deal with this at one level or another. I see it in my life. I see it in my marriage. I see it in my parenting. I see it in my attitude in the church. I see this, this judgmental, critical spirit. I see it rise up. It's a lack of humility. Now listen to what it says. First of all, we do a careful self-evaluation of our heart and the impact of our own words on the lives of those around me. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about this issue of having a judgmental heart that leads to judgmental words. In the Sermon on the Mount, in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 7, Jesus talks about this very issue. And then he says this, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does another. A hypocrite in this context is somebody who judges others for the very things that they do. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, we've heard that many times, but here's the question. Do we take it seriously? Do we look at our own lives? Do we look at our own hearts and ask ourselves the hard question, is this me? 
Does this describe me? Do I have a critical spirit? Do I have a judgmental heart? Do I say things to people without their welfare in mind? Or am I passionate that they that their life in Jesus would be a blessing and would grow. And so I only critique when I know I'm doing it to build them up out of love for their welfare. Friends, I know enough about myself that I know that I am a broken human being. And I made a list of reasons that I've seen in my own life why I can be judgmental of the people around me. And I don't know if you will relate to any of these, but I got quite a list here. Listen, we do it sometimes out of revenge to hurt people who have hurt us, of course. When I'm hurt, I snap back. I did it just this morning. I turned the light on and, and, uh, and right by my bed, and I woke Beth up. And she got frustrated with me, and I said, well, you always do that. She said, I do not. I use my flashlight on my cell phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm attacking her because I knew I was wrong. We do it all the time. Second reason, we do it as a way to build ourselves up. If I can knock you down, it makes me feel better about who I am. Because then I feel like I am ahead of you, that I'm above you. And so we knock people down around us so that we feel better defensiveness. That's what I did with Beth this morning. We do it as a way, I did apologize. We do it as a way to mask our own insecurity. I feel insecure about myself, and so I'm going to make sure that, that you know that you're not better than me. So I'm going to critique you in your life. I had a pastor that I worked with many years ago, and we met every Monday morning, and I dreaded the Monday morning meetings. Because every Monday morning, he would come with a list of all the things that he thought I didn't do well the week before. Week after week after week after week. One time, I tried to raise something. That wasn't allowed. It came out of insecurity that he had. Feeling threatened. When we feel threatened, we want to knock the people around us down. Out of anger, when I'm angry. Sometimes those words just fly out of my mouth. We do it as a way to control the situation, to protect ourselves. Sometimes we do it out of our own personal pain. Deep down, we're struggling and we're unhappy. And we're hurting. And it just flies out. And I'll give an illustration of that in just a moment. Sometimes we do it out of jealousy and envy of somebody and what they have in their life. Sometimes it's just a habit that we've allowed to become a part of our life. When I preached on the Sermon on the Mount, I gave you this illustration. And I want to give it to you again because I think it, it's a really powerful picture of what we're talking about. And what I have here is a coffee mug that is filled with water. Now, if I shake this, what happens? Water comes out. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did water come out? Why did the uh, water come out of this? Now, you would say, why did the water spill? You, you probably think, well, because you shook the cup. 
Well, yes, that's true. But water came out of the cup because there's water in the cup. So here's my point. The cup represents our hearts. And if our hearts are not right with God, something happens that shakes our life and what comes out is what's in our heart. And if my heart is filled with judgmentalism or insecurity or pain or past hurts, that's what's going to bubble out. That's what's going to come out. If my heart is filled with the love and the grace of Jesus, that's what will come out. And so we have to, on a regular basis, we have to do an assessment of our hearts and we have to ask the hard questions. Am I, is my heart filled with grace and mercy and the love of Christ? Or is my heart filled with resentment, insecurity, pain that I need to address and I need to deal with? Friends, the more that you deal with these issues, the more that when your life is shaken, what comes out is the grace of God. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Never give in to the temptation to speak in anger. Now, this is a hard one, isn't it? Because you get all of that adrenaline going when something happens and it, boy, it just flies out. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that when I do that, I'm never happy with myself. When I let my words just fly out of my mouth in anger, I pay the price afterward of guilt, of shame, of remorse. It's never a good thing. One of the things that I've learned to do is to walk away and to process, 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 so that when I do respond, it comes out of a heart that isn't filled with anger, but a heart that is filled with mercy and grace and love. Fools vent their anger, we read in Proverbs, but the wise quietly hold it back. Ooh, do you feel challenged by that? And I do, I do. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Another, and right on the heels of the anger, choose to listen before you speak. Choose to listen before you speak. This is something most of us do very poorly. Listen to what it says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You, all, you must all, all of us, be quick to listen. Okay? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Most of us are quick to speak, quick to be angry, and slow to listen. We've got it backwards. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. This comes from James 1, 19 and 20. I've done a lot of marital counseling over the years. Um, I do a lot of premarital counseling because I've done a lot of weddings. And I've learned over the years that the key to human relationships is the ability to listen, is the ability to understand what another person is saying before I respond, before I render judgment on what it is that they're saying. What happens often in, in, in a marriage, and I use that as an example because it's the closest human relationships that we experience. 
We are one in marriage in the eyes of God. And so we get married, and what happens is, I assume I know what the other person's saying. I assume I know what the other person is thinking. Have you ever finished your uh, spouse's sentence? Yeah. And then Beth will look at me. No, that wasn't what I was going to say. Oops. What we have learned is when when we are at odds, which happens sometimes, what we do is we slow everything down. And Beth shares, and I can't respond to what she's saying until she's confident that I understand what it is that she is saying. Which means I have to listen. I have to, I, I, I'm not, I can't listen but, and think about my response. I have to just work hard to understand what she's saying and not assume that I understand. And so what I do is I listen and I have to attach an emotion. What is she feeling about what she's saying? That's hard work. And it slows everything down. But here's what happens. Until she is confident that I understand what she's saying, I'm not allowed to respond. And then it's my turn. I get to share. And she can't respond until I am confident that she understands what I'm saying. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, this would take forever. Yes, sometimes it does. But here's what it does. It puts you at a much better place. It makes sure that in that moment, there's no judgment flying around, but there's just the hard work of understanding. Friends, I'm telling you, this is one of the most powerful things that you can do in your human relationships. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Anger comes out of judgment. And so what happens here is I choose, instead of judging, I choose understanding. One of the things that we're going to do in this next year as a church is we're going to be teaching the skill of how to do this in human relationships. Because it is how we live out this passage from James 1 as well as many others. The fourth thing I want you to see is that ask those who you have hurt to forgive you. I look back on my life and I see there have been times I have said something in the moment, sometimes just joking, but it's hurt somebody. Or sometimes impatience and it hurts somebody. The Bible says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I'm going to share something very embarrassing with you. But I I really believe that we're not to be people that hide things. But um, my son was a very good basketball player. And there was this one particular game where, as a parent, I didn't think the referee was very good. Go figure, right? So after the game, friends, I am not proud of this, okay? We're all on the same page. I went up and I said, oh my gosh, you did a great job. He said, well, thank you. I said, seriously, nobody would have ever known you'd never seen a basketball game before. 
I felt so bad about that comment that I found out where he was going to be refereeing two days later. I drove to that school and I found him and I apologized to him. Because that was wrong. That was bad. And I had to take responsibility for it. He actually laughed and said, got to tell you, that was one of the best comments I've ever heard. <laughs> I said, don't fuel the beast. Ask those, you, maybe it's a child. Maybe you need to go back to a child because you were judgmental as a parent. You said things out of anger to a child. And now they're grown. And you need to go back. And even if they've never raised it, you need to say, I'm sorry that I said that. The fifth thing is remember to speak the truth in love. Now, this is the flip side. This is the flip side. It doesn't mean that we never judge. It means we never judge without wanting what is best for the other person. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He is the head of the church. And so we are to speak the truth in love so that others become more like Jesus. That is the only motivation that is allowed when it comes to judging others. And I have to check myself when I am rendering judgment. Am I one doing this because I really want what is best for the other person? Or is there something selfish in me driving this? We do speak the truth in love. I need people to tell me the truth. And I have a group of people, and always have, as long as I've been a pastor, I've had a group of people who have permission to say the truth to me in love. They're people I trust. They're people who, who will do it in love. There are people who are gentle. And there are people who will hang in there with me, even when I'm defensive. And they will tell me the truth out of love. Because they want what is best for me. They love me. They care about me. I matter to them. Friends, that's the kind of community that honors God. That's what our home should look like. We don't respond to our spouse. We don't respond to our sibling out of anger, out of selfishness. We respond because we want what is best for them. Now imagine that, 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 7-year-olds and 14-year-olds, that you only respond to your brother or sister in a way that builds them up in Christ. And finally, remember that the Lord detests our judging others. This is, this is really profound. I want you to hear this. and I'd never studied, uh, paid attention to this passage in James, but I want you to hear these words in verses 7 to 9. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, his return. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Okay, the Lord's return is near. Now listen to this. He's talking about be patient, be prepared for the Lord's return. And all of a sudden, this verse 
appears to come out of nowhere, and I've never really connected it to the, to the context. Listen to what it says. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge, Jesus, is standing at the door. What does that mean? He's going to return any moment. He's coming back. What James is saying is what breaks Christian um, community, what destroys Christian community is our tendency to judge and grumble against one another. And he says, don't do that. Jesus is coming back soon. Don't live that way among one another. Don't live that way in your home. Don't live that way in the church. Don't live that way in the neighborhood. Don't live that way on the ball field. Don't live that way in school. Don't live that way in work. Yes, speak the truth in love, but always being motivated by what is best for the other person. I want to close with this story. It's a story that Chuck Swindoll tells. If, uh, Chuck Swindoll is a very famous preacher, teacher. I love Chuck Swindoll. Uh, one of my favorites. I love listening to him teach. And Chuck was speaking at a camp, and he was there the entire week. And at the camp, he was, uh, he was every day, morning and evening, he was teaching out of the Bible. The first night that he was there, he met this wonderful older couple, and, um, and they talked about how excited they were to be there. But he noticed each day that the husband would last about 10 minutes before he would fall asleep. Now, every preacher, every teacher loves that. And it made Chuck feel like this guy really didn't care about what he had to say, and he felt really kind of miffed about it, felt rejected by this. And so he, in his mind, he was thinking, oh, man, obviously the wife dragged him along. He doesn't want to be there. And, and dragged him along, and he has no interest. He's obviously a very shallow Christian. And so he had this whole story worked up in his head. And the last day, the last day of the conference, the wife comes up to him to thank him for his teaching and his ministry. And Chuck says, well, tell me your story. Well, he's thinking, yeah, my husband, we're not at the same level spiritually. We have to, I have to drag him. No, that's not what she said. She said, that he was dying of cancer. He had terminal cancer. His final wish was to be at this conference, even though the pain medication he was taking was making him drowsy. She said, he loves the Lord. You're his favorite Bible teacher. He wanted to be here to meet you and hear you no matter what. Chuck said this, I stood there all alone, as deeply rebuked as I have ever been in my life. We think we know when we don't know so often. We have to remember that. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for the privilege and the joy it is to gather together, to worship together. Father, our lives have been blessed in so many ways. But God, I confess I can be so blind to my blind spots. And often I confess that I just don't want to hear. I don't want to see it. But Father, we'll never be better. We know this until we are truthful and honest. Speak to your people in Jesus' name.
Amen.